0: There's a passage I want to read from the Old testament that um, that captures that captures the futility the futility of the flesh in other words the ineffectiveness the ineffectiveness of the flesh before we start off tonight this is jeremiah two jeremiah chapter two verse verse thirteen says for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and instead they have hewn for themselves. Systems, systems like wells, broken systems that can hold no water. Anytime we function out of our self life, out of self sufficiency, we are rejecting the life of Christ. The life of Christ. We have the life of Christ. We have the indwelling Christ. But any time we function out of our own flesh, which is living independent of God, living apart from God, apart from Christ, then we are resorting to systems that can hold no water. The flesh is very, very inefficient. And my role in this study is to bring us to a point where we can see the bankruptcy of the self-life, of the flesh, so that we can exchange it for the life of Christ, which already indwells us as believers. Amen? Colossians 3.14 says that Christ is our life. Christ is our life. And then Romans 5, 5.10 says that we are saved by his life. We are saved by Christ's life. So it's either we are walking according to the spirit, and that is embracing and allowing Christ to live his life through us, or we are walking according to the flesh. And of course, if we walk according to the flesh, then we will experience nothing but frustration. We will experience conflict. We will experience all sorts of things that will deter or that will not promote our sanctification. Amen? So last week, let me just uh, recap uh, what we discussed last week. We began by discussing or by defining the flesh. And if you recall, we said that the flesh, also called self life, Okay, uh, before then we looked at the traditional view and the biblical view of the flesh. The traditional view simply says that man has two natures. You have the evil nature and then you have the divine nature. And I say that that is a wrong approach, because it's like setting us up for civil war. We only have one nature. So you have two natures, the evil nature. And then the divine nature, and the two of them are fighting, always fighting. Nope. Christ said, "If the house is divided against itself, what happens? To fall." So we are not dual natured; we are one nature. That is, you see that you are a child of God, or you are a child of the devil. Then we looked at the biblical um, view which is flesh is our living out of our own natural resources. Living out of our own natural resources. Um, Then we had a more complete definition of the flesh. So flesh is synonymous with self-life. We said it is a condition. It is a condition. It is a mindset. It is An attitude. It it is a strategy where my focus is primarily on myself, so it's self-centered life. And even if it is good-looking, and we will see those good-looking flesh well-adjusted or sociably or socially acceptable, where I am living out of my own resources, and there are several of these resources. What are those resources such as my heritage, my education, my IQ, my personality, my sense of humor, looks, talents, abilities, capabilities, self-discipline, self-strength. And you can see in all of this is self, self, self self-reliance. So I'm living out of these resources. I'm living out of my talents and the Purpose, the purpose is to cope with life, is to solve my problem, is to meet my needs, is to become a success. In other words, it is me trying to live life independent of Christ. So living life independent of Christ. And from there we trace the biblical origin, we trace it back to the Garden of Eden when man fell. After eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, God has said, Any any day that you eat of this fruit, you will do what? You will surely die. And the question is, did Adam and the wife die immediately? No, they did not die immediately. When they died many, many years after that? But they were separated from God. There was a spiritual death. And spiritual death does not mean annihilation of the spirit. It just means that they were separated from the source of life, and that is God. And because they were separated from the source of life, and they had to live, so they had to resort to self-sufficiency, self-sufficient functioning. And so we saw that from self-sufficiency, as opposed to Christ-sufficiency or spirit-sufficiency, and um, in order for them to be self-sufficient, they had to control everything around them, to be independent. And so the flesh also indicates independence. Is it because for you to be self-sufficient, it means that you have to control things around you, you have to control people, you have to control your, your surroundings so that you'll be independent. And the more the struggle for independence, because when you try to control things, when you are obsessed with controlling things, that thing controls you, until so you are now in bondage to that thing. So, flesh also represents bondage, whereas um, grace or the tree of life represents freedom. And of course, because they were estr- estranged from God, they were placed under the law system. The law system is based on performance. You performed to be blessed. As opposed to the grace system where you are blessed because God has done it all. You are blessed not because of you, but because of what Christ has done. And of course, the flesh leads to death because any time that we live, any time that we function out of self, sufficiency. It is self, It is self-destruct. Uh, Paul says that if you sow into the flesh, then out of the flesh you will reap what? Corruption. Corruption. And of course God had told, um, God had said to the man and his wife that any day that you eat of this fruit, from this fruit, that you shall surely die. So flesh represents death. Not just physical death, not the physical death, but not having the best, not having God's kind of life, the best that God meant for you to have, the place of weakness. Then from there, we looked at the varieties of the flesh. I just run through all of that that we covered last week. Well-adjusted flesh looks good on the outside. It looks adequate, looks strong, but it's no good. Religious flesh, and this is trying to gain God's acceptance or favor through your performance. Um. <clears throat> then we had the self depreciating flesh. Uh, it looks, this is self condemning when you're condemning yourself, self uh, critical. Assuming that you are always a problem. And on the upside, it looks, it looks like humility. You know, it, it looks like you are humble, but uh, in actual fact, you are just fishing for compliment. You are fishing for compliment. That is a self-depreciating flesh. Then the next one was, is a passive flesh. Uh, passivity, that is lacking initiative. You don't want to take or make decisions because you are afraid that you might fail or that your decision might be wrong. And so instead of being wrong, so you don't take decisions. Passivity. It looks weak, but it's actually strong because any time that you don't take a decision, it affects other people. Not taking decision is actually a decision by itself. That is the passive flesh. And then we looked at the self-centered flesh. This is self-absorbed, its self-consumed. Everything is just centered about you, self-absorbed. And then the opposite of that is the other-centered flesh, other-centered flesh. This is where others' actions reflect on me. Others' actions reflect on me. This is where I tell my children to uh, to dress appropriately so that I will not be embarrassed so that I will look good. I want you to look good so that I will look good. It's not actually for your own good but for my good. That is other-centered. That is also where we have um, co-dependency which is a very strong need of being needed. The caretaker flesh um, The rescuers where you want to, where you feel that you are responsible, you are responsible for everybody. Um, You see yourself as being responsible, like I am responsible for your joy, I'm responsible for your emotions. You know, I am not responsible. Nobody is responsible for how you feel. You choose to feel that way. Does that make sense? Some people people say, you make me feel sad. Nobody can make you feel sad. You choose to feel sad. Because the the same thing that I do, if I do it to some other person, he or she may not respond that way. Okay? So, um, and we will talk about that. Hostile flesh, hostility, um, where you vent your anger. There are, there are two kinds of people when it comes to anger. There's those that vent their anger. They just pour it out on you. And there are those that just swallow the anger. So which, whichever way, these are very wrong ways of dealing with that emotion. These are very wrong ways of dealing with the emotion of anger. You don't vent it out on people. Neither should you uh, tuck it in. That can result in depression. Then we had the people-pleasing flesh. This is where you are trying to be all things to all people. You're trying to keep everybody happy. This is where people become doormats, doormats, and letting others take advantage of them as people-pleasing flesh. Withdrawn flesh. Withdrawn flesh. Um, This person checks out. You know, the silent treatment, refusal to, re, refusal to communicate. You distance yourself from others. And all of this, and all of this, is they are all forms of control to try to get a need met. And it's usually a relationship need. And we will look at some of those. I think that's where we stopped last week. We have the good-looking flesh, well-adapted, passive, passive flesh, sweet, religious flesh, but they are all flesh. Nothing good comes from the flesh. There are really yucky flesh. And these are the uh, you know, poorly adjusted dominant being, irreligious uh, behavior. They are all flesh. Okay, let's look at the most common characteristics of the flesh the most common characteristics of the flesh. So you are going to fill in the blanks on your, in your booklet. The first characteristic is that flesh is a controller. Flesh is a controller. And there are various methods by which flesh controls. The first one is a critical attitude. A critical attitude where you find fault finding fault with others, finding fault with yourself and everything around you. And, you know, any time you criticize somebody, you are telling the person that I am superior and you are inferior. So we maintain superiority by a critical attitude. Now, the reasoning is that if I criticize you, you will change. That is a form of control, Right? The next method by which we control is the body language. Psychologists teach that 90% of our communication is by body language. You know those um, frowns, when you frown, those disgusting glasses, you know, those things that we do that says a thousand words without you opening your mouth. You know, the you remember the know it all looks? Know it all looks. Supporting language can use that to control others. It was a silent treatment. You say nothing. It speaks it speaks volume. can use that to control. Hostile behaviour, again, the temper tantrums, slamming things around you, violence, abuse. Control. If I get angry and scream at you, you will change. We use that on our children, don't we? Seductive behavior. Mm. Seductive behavior. The adverts we have on our TV where sex is used to influence sales. You see a beautiful girl smoking cigarette or drinking alcohol just to attract you to uh, do that. Um, this is called, also called flirtation, dangling the carrots just to attract you, seductive behavior. Playing politics in a bad sense now. Uh, playing politics in a bad sense. Uh, this says, I will do this for you if you vote for me. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Or you do that for me. This is tit for tat. Um, Blackmail and intimidation. A form of control. Blackmail says, if you do that, I'm going to tell on you. If you do that, I'm going to tell on you. Intimidation. You know, Parental parental blackmail. <laughs> Let me read one thing I wrote down here um, to intimidate our children. We can say, if you ever do that again, I'm going to whip you within an inch of your life. Yeah, we may not say it that way, but I know, you know, from some of the things that we tell our children, um, could run that way. Or I will hand your head in a platter. Intimidation. We intimidate them so that they will change is the form of control. Passivity, I've already talked about that, lacking initiative by not making decisions. But again, when you don't make a decision, you are your lack of decision is affecting so many people. So lack of Decision or not making decision is actually a decision, and it's not weakness. It's very strong. It's very strong. Being laid back, manipulation, manipulation. I I was I was at at a car wash with my wife. um, I think it was on Sunday or so, and this girl, perfect stranger. It comes up to me and calls me sweetie you know sweetie you know <laughs> manipulation do you know why she's doing that to have sales you know you go into a store and the person you've never seen in your life is calling you darling sweetie just to influence you to do what you didn't want to do. Manipulation. A religion mm. Churches control their people through organized religion. They can use fear technique, guilt trip. They preach from the pulpit <laughs> and instill fear, and you do what you did not plan to do, especially when it comes to giving offerings. Uh, I've experienced that in so many churches, not here. Guilt and shame, false guilt which is brought about by critical comment. If I criticize you, I pulled a guilt trip. You, I will control you. So that is one way, or shame you by saying things like, you can't do anything right. You are so irresponsible. You know, these are, these are shaming, uh, shaming comments. And, you know, we should be careful any time we use, we start a statement with you, you are this, you are that. Because you are not attacking the behavior of the person, but you are attacking the individual. That is a personal attack. You see, you are, you are good for nothing. You never do anything right. You are so irresponsible. You are laid back. Control. You shame the person so that the person will experience guilt, and it's actually a false guilt. It's not even a true guilt. Overprotection is another form of control. This is very common with parents, and um, I experienced that when I was growing up. Now, to make sure the child turns out right so that the parents will look good. So we overprotect over our children. We are so afraid that they might not turn out good. And this is sometimes we use the term helicopter parents or helicopter mothers. You hover around your child, hover around your child to control, to make sure that he or she is doing something right, not because of the child, but because of you. You want to look good. You want to be seen as a good parent. The next one is to play favorite. Now, this is so common with parents. When we tell our children, why can't you get A's like, like this other child is getting? Why, why, why can't you behave like it? Why can't you get A's? Why are you always bringing home B's and C's? <laughs> <clears throat> Although we might say that the technique is to motivate the child, but when you begin to compare your children with others, that is a form of control. Now, what is the purpose of control? What is the purpose of control? The purpose of control, number one, is to keep God and others from getting too close to us. See, it's to keep others and God from getting too close to us, we say if, it's, if they're too close, I go to best of my life. I like my life. I like my life the way it is. So to keep others from getting too close to us, and including God. Secondly, to keep us from getting overwhelmed by circumstances. We don't want to feel completely defeated, and so we put up this this wall around us. We put up this this uh, facade, um, kind of like a defense a defense mechanism, so that we don't feel too overwhelmed. Thirdly, to protect ourselves from others, self protection. That is. One of the reasons why we control self-protection. And lastly, to keep our emotions suppressed. Many people feel that, especially men, that if I show emotions, if I show emotions that I'm weak, and therefore I will not show emotions. Because if I do, then it spells weakness. I want to show strength. But there are others that carry their emotions on their sleeves. You know, the slightest thing you can see, their emotions. And some people, some people say, well, that is a sign of weakness. It is not. God gave us emotions. And there are ways that we can, there are healthy ways that we can handle those, those emotions. We are not to be controlled by emotions. We are to be controlled by truth, by faith, by beliefs. Okay. And of course, to get what we want. We control to get what we want. Other characteristics of the flesh. Self, flesh is self-protective. I think you should feel that in, your, in the blank. Flesh is self-protective. I'll give you some examples of that. Um, when Jacob leaving his uncle Laban is going home and he's going to beat Esau. You remember what he did? You remember what Jacob did when he was going to beat Esau his brother to protect himself. He sent out <laughs> he sent out he sent first of all huh? that's why right, he sent animals, sent things just to appease a piece Esau, self-protection. Abraham, remember what Abraham did? That's right. He said, when they see you, tell them that you are my sister. They can do anything they want to do with you as long as I am protected. Right? Self-protection. That is the flesh. So it takes the form of excuse-making justifying our behavior shifting blame withdrawing not taking responsibility shifting blame and this the issue of blame shift uh, is right there don't don't push it on the issue of blame shift Adam and Eve right mm-hmm. started from there see Adam where are you did you eat? Of the fruit, I told you not to eat. No, the woman made me do it. Shifting responsibility, not taking responsibility. And what did uh, the woman do? The woman blamed the shepherd. So not taking responsibility for our actions so that we can protect ourselves. So flesh is self-protective. Flesh is an octopus. Octopus. Octopus has eight, eight tentacles. So flesh is one problem, but with several symptoms. One problem with several symptoms. Um, if you have your Bible with, uh, with you, can you read Galatians 5? Galatians five. Galatians chapter five, verse nineteen to twenty-one. Let's let's see the various tentacles of the octopus. Galatians five. Nineteen to twenty-one. Three, yes. yes. hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness revelries, and the like. That's right. You see, the works of the flesh, and all those things are listed. So the flesh, the problem, and then the tentacles, all those that have been listed. So the flesh is like an octopus. So let's take the octopus here. One of the tentacles, passivity, You recall what passivity, not taking Initiative. It is better to, to not make decisions than be wrong. That is what a, you know a passive person thinks, or have reasons. Pride is one other symptom. Pride says, "I can't let God down. Therefore, I will not quit. If I quit, then I'm letting God down." Depression depression says I can't cope with life anger is one of the tentacles I have been wrongfully fired from my job I'm angry bitterness is another tentacle another work of the flesh bitterness says I can't get over my spouse leaving me for another man for another woman I can't get over it—bitterness, unforgiveness. Religion, religion says I've got to impress God and my pastor by my spirituality. Again, flesh. Jealousy. Someone gets all the breaks and I don't. So, I've been lost. A very greedy and strong desire for something. So these are the various tentacles of the octopus. And that is how the flesh is. Now, one thing about the octopus, as I've read, is that if you cut off if you cut off any of the tentacles, if you cut off one of the tentacles takes time to grow back but at the time that he's trying to grow back all the other tentacles will be reinforced. So for instance if you want to deal with anger okay so suppose this self wants to deal with anger and there are you know some fleshly ways there are some fleshly ways that we've been taught to deal with anger. He said, confess the sin of anger. Memorize 10 verses of the Bible that has to do with anger. Count to 10 before you say anything when you are provoked. These are all ways that we've been taught to deal with anger. So you do that, you do that today. And then what happens? When you have some success, When you are able to control that anger, maybe one or two days, then pride sets in. You become so proud. I have been able to control my anger. You see how pride is now reinforced? So that's what happens when we try to use our own ways to control these fleshly manifestations. So how do we deal with this problem? How do we deal with this problem? Because if you try to deal with any of the symptoms, you have not solved the problem. You deal with the flesh itself. You deal with the flesh. So what can we say from this? Neither control measures or laws can change or reform the flesh. You cannot reform the flesh they can only temporarily alter its behavior. There's no law that can reform the flesh. God has given us a way to deal with the flesh and we will mention that. If our laws laws increase a desire to sin and even increases sin itself. Laws. They increase the, the desire to sin, and increases sin. And this is in Romans, chapter seven. Another characteristic of the flesh is that the flesh holds me captive. The flesh holds me captive, and enslaves me. The flesh holds me captive and enslaves me. You see, if anyone is living by the flesh, in other words, independent of God, you are no match for the devil. You are no match for the enemy. Um, The enemy will arrange for that person to be overcome by somebody or by something else. You know, you'll be overcome by some substance. You can be overcome by abuse, smoking, any of those things. And addiction is not, you know, we often look at that addiction with the bad things. I mean, the real obvious bad things like uh, uh, sex addiction, uh, pornography, and all of that. But you can even be addicted to food. We have food addiction. We can be addicted to you know to codependency. Uh, anything that you have to do abnormally, you get obsessed by it. That thing controls anything that controls you, you get addicted to it. So flesh will hold us captive and will enslave us. The flesh is deceptive. The flesh is deceptive. Um, I think last week I mentioned the chameleon flesh. <laughs> the chameleon flesh. The chameleon will disguise itself uh, by assuming the colors of the environment. Right? It will disguise itself, and this is the same thing with uh, uh, with uh, people that have this uh, that are struggling with this. Um, you you take somebody. Who has that kind of attitude or behavior? Wherever you place a person, he or she will learn to fit in that setting. They wear a mask or a, or a facade and they disguise their true self. They would never reveal their true self. So wherever you put them, they will fit in there, okay? Hide their true self and then wear that mask. In the Bible, we, we found somebody that did that. Do you remember who did that? Who disguised himself? Somebody disguised himself in the Old Testament.? Huh? Jacob. <laughs> you remember? Jacob disguised himself to appear as who Esau, in order to steal the brother's birthright. chameleon flesh. The flesh builds its identity around itself. It builds its identity around itself. Um, identity is who you are. Identity is who you are. And so we develop our identity um, from things around us. We don't develop our identity from who God says we are. So these are the things that we develop our identity from. Our job, because, because I work for an engineering firm, therefore I am an engineer. Because I teach in a college, therefore I am a teacher or I am a professor. So uh, a teacher, a professor, engineer now becomes my identity. See. That's, that's not who I am. That's what I do. Your career, money, education, your performance, your looks, your, your, your talents, your reputation. There are some uh, who come to my office and say that my husband or my wife is my life. Or my children are my life. Therefore, if anything happens to the children, that means you don't have a life, right? Okay. So you build your identity around things. That is what the flesh does. All of this. And some of us can identify with one or two or more of that. I can identify with that because I used to struggle with that. Guess why I I got got, uh, three uh, degrees? Because I felt education was my life. (laughs) I get my significance, my value from getting those degrees see how that works your house your home your family becomes your identity the flesh is proud the flesh is proud you see the flesh Sorry, let me go back there. The flesh will always want to exalt itself, and we do that. The flesh exalts itself to meet to meet a need, a need for acceptance. See, if I exalt myself, you will like me, you will accept me, you will recognize me. And so we insist on being right. We blame others. Because we are too proud to be wrong. We act superior. And of course, when we act superior, we try to control others because we look down on them. We brag in order to to look better. And then we rebel. You know, when we rebel, we are saying that I can make better decisions than you. That is pride. Pride. So flesh is proud. Flesh is an idolater. Flesh is an idolater. Flesh uses other means to get our needs met apart from God. So the question now is who and what is meeting your need? Who and what is meeting Your need. You see, when the flesh is substituted for Christ and is independently responsible to meet its own needs, then that thing that you are depending on becomes your idol. The flesh is an idolater. Your idol could be people, things, achievement, and all of this to get your needs met. The flesh is a rejecter. The flesh is a rejecter. My coping skills rejects others. My coping skills rejects others. And any time that I attempt to get my needs met, either my needs for love, my needs for acceptance, my own way, it will always result in all kinds of rejection. And it will be rejecting others. So the flesh rejects. Rejected people will always reject others. You see, when we have two selfers and they are not depending on Christ to have their needs met, are depending on each other to have their dismay, one person will be used. And when we use others, we are rejecting them. So let's because rejection is a very, very serious, a very serious problem. Most of the people I see in my counseling office. Are there because they have experienced rejection. They have experienced rejection either from parents, from spouses, or from people outside that job. When we experience rejection, it can result in very significant mental or emotional damage. Emotional and mental damage. So, what is rejection? Rejection is the absence of meaningful love. Rejection is the absence of meaningful love. When we don't have, because, you see, God has wired us with at least four relational needs, four relationship needs the need for love, the need for acceptance the need for value, and the need for security. All of us. Is there anyone here who doesn't want to be loved? Loved. Accepted. The sense of belonging. The sense of being valued. The sense of security. We all want that. So God has wired us with that. And so anytime these needs are not met, we feel rejected. We will often reject others the same ways we were rejected. and That is the truth. We will always reject others the same ways that we were re- rejected. When a person is rejected, in other words, his needs are not met by a stronger selfer, there will be retaliation, or at best or at the very least a lifestyle that imitates his or her predator. Now, This is the reason why um, children often imitate their abusive parents. Children grow up to be, I mean, if you are growing up in an abusive, uh, rejective environment, those children will grow up to be just like their parents, because rejection breeds more rejection. So we develop our flesh patterns out of rejection, because we all want to be accepted. We all want to belong. And if we have, don't have that needs made, we are going to develop some coping skills some coping skills in order to uh, control the pain of being rejected. So most of our flesh patterns develop out of rejection. There are two types of rejection. There are two types of rejection. The first one is overt rejection. Overt. This is obvious. Obvious rejection. For instance, When one is abandoned, when one is abandoned, that is overt. That is an obvious rejection. Physical abuse. Physical, sexual, or verbal abuse. When you abuse somebody physically, sexually, or verbally, you are telling that person, I reject you. You don't belong. Another form of overt rejection is when a spouse leaves, a spouse leaves, rejection. When you're fired from your job, rejection. Racial discrimination, overt rejection. Where you are discriminated because of the color of your skin or even re- uh, rejected because of your sex, these are all obvious or overt rejection. The other type is the you know, the subtle one, the covert, covert rejection. For instance, parents divorce. When parents divorce, the children are in the middle. They feel that they were the cause of the divorce, and so they feel rejected. I've seen this severally in my office. Parents divorce, and the children feel that they are because they feel rejected because of that, or the absence of a parent. The absence of a parent, the child feels rejected. The child reasons that hey, um, if I were good, then my parents would be here with me to play with with me. So he or she feels rejected. A critical attitude. A critical attitude. You are telling the person, I reject you, when consistently you are finding faults in that person. Overprotection is a form of rejection. That is a covert rejection. Parents that hover around their children, overprotecting them, you are telling them, you can't think, I want to think for you. And that is a form of rejection. I want to do this for you because you cannot do it. It's a rejection. Or sibling comparison. Sibling comparison. When we compare one child with with the other, when we make those statements like, why can't you get A's like your brother or your sister? You are telling the child, you are rejected. Because you don't measure up. Sibling comparison. What time do I have? All right. Um, a very short, very short video clips here. I want the, the essence of this is so that you'll be able to identify your own coping skills, your own flesh. Um, there are ways that this flesh is programmed, okay? Your flesh and my flesh, there are ways that they have been programmed. And it's usually messages that we have received when we were growing up from significant people in our lives. Our parents, uh, church, school. So when we receive messages from events, okay, those messages, they impact us. And as they impact us, we develop some beliefs, some core beliefs, because of the messages. And from these core beliefs come emotions and behaviors. So this video clip is going to show us what time do I have? It's going to show us um, a story about a man who um, saw himself as an image consultant. And he defined image consultant as somebody who just runs other people's lives. Okay. And then you could trace how he got to that flesh from how he grew up, the kinds of messages that he received from his parents and then the beliefs that he had about himself, which developed the emotions as well as the coping the coping behavior. About, um, <laughs> the image consultant. What kind of attitude behavior did he display? Completely self-absorbed. Completely self-absorbed. Arrogant. Arrogant. Another one. Huh? Rude, impatient, hostile. Now let's see where that came from, okay? As a child, what was the last statement that he made? I'm going to grow up to be what? A loser. You see the belief? You see the belief that he had at that age? I'm going to grow up to be a loser. Now let's see more of him, hearing from the father. The mom died at eight years. The mom was the protector. So now the mom is dead. At the grade school, of course, he fought. <laughs> and he was, uh, I, I mean, um, um reprimanded by the principal of the school. So another message he got. No girlfriend. At the age of 40, the man had no girlfriend, no female in the house. Career, what what was his career? Image consultant. What What emotions did he experience? He was scared terrified, he was ashamed, guilty of killing the mother. At least that that was the, um, the impression that the dad gave him, that it was because of what he did that the mother died. He was angry, frustrated, he was weak, vulnerable, incapable, helpless. He was insecure. These were his emotions when he was growing up. Now, what embarrassed, unloved, what beliefs did he have about himself? I must be strong. The father told him, don't cry, boys, don't cry. So he says, I must be strong. It's my fault I'm to blame. It's my fault because my mother died. So I am to blame. His beliefs. I must be strong. Don't show emotions. Something is wrong with me. I'm a loser. I'm worthless. I am not important. So those were the emotions, and those were his core beliefs, based on the events and the circumstances that he experienced in his life. So out of this, what were the flesh patterns? because he had to develop some flesh patterns in order to fight those emotions. He was withdrawn. He performed for acceptance, obsessed with accomplishments. He was a perfectionist, dominant, controlling. Don't get get close, because if you get too close, you will see how weak I am and then you will not like me. I better stay busy. We have several workaholics. I stay busy. As long as I stay busy, I won't feel overwhelmed by my very insecure life. Hide my emotions. Where did he get that from? Stop crying. Don't cry. And of course, he was so judgmental and critical. So, the exercise I want us to do is you go to the I think the last three pages that that talks about the manifestations of the flesh, the last three pages in the uh, handout. You can actually structure your own flesh based on um, the circumstances or the events that you experienced in your life as much as you can remember as you were growing up. The messages that you received from your dad from your mom or whoever was a significant person in your life you can actually structure your flesh. The messages that you received how they impacted you, the emotions that arose from there, then based on that, the core beliefs that you had about yourselves. And if you check through these manifestations of the flesh, what I want you to do is just indicate indicate anyone that applies, applies to you. Does that make sense? Indicate the, the ones that applies to you. And then when we come back next week, we will now talk about, about this. Okay? Can you see how you can structure your flesh based on the, uh, the video that you saw? Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Check the ones that apply to you. Then when we come back next week, we will talk about your own specific flesh. Any questions? We've overstayed a little bit, but um, I think I wanted to get to this point tonight. Any questions? Okay, if there are no questions, then we will call it tonight.